Jan, you can sign yourself in. Um, also, offering, this will go to Westfield House. You know, Westfield House just this way with the basket. So it comes back to you last. Yes, <laughs> good. Uh, Westfield House just, you know, put in a new building, Luther Hall. The pictures look great. Uh, Dr. Feuerhan made it there and back safely. And uh, actually, even with Parkinson's, he was able to participate in the dedication. And so, in fact, uh, Carol, I've got pictures of that. A couple. Um, let's just remind me, and I'll give them to you if you want to put them on a board or something. Okay. Uh, let's pray, and then I do want to just get a handout going around while Jan gets ready to tell the story. Okay. Here we go. Le yesterday, you know, the men's retreat was out at. Uh, St. Ignatius Loyola Center and a college. Are you standing there for a reason, buddy? Starting to make me nervous. <laughs> Ready to do your will. Yeah, I'm sure you are. <laughs> You'd be the first person around here. <laughs> uh, so a good, a good prayer from St. Ignatius Loyola is good. Uh, the men, just so you know, I've told many of the wives, not only did we talk about what it was to be a good husband, but we also, all of them, we couldn't stop them from talking about how much they loved all of you. So... Isn't that right, Yonker? Thank you very much. I said, I said, all they did was talk about how great their wives were. The wives are like, yeah, okay, I bet. <laughs> here we go, Ignatius Loyola, the great prayer, prayer, prayer as you go here at the end of the service. Teach us, good Lord, to serve thee as thou dost deserve us, to give and to not count the cost, to fight and not to heed the wounds, to toil and not to ask for rest, to labor and not ask for any reward, save that of knowing that we have done thy will. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. All right, uh, pay attention to Jan. Don't look at the handout. She's going to start. We're going to pass out a few things, but this is like your SAT. Don't flip <laughs> it over until we say go. Okay? okay. Can everybody hear? Okay. You can't wave your hand back there. Our story today is the story of Gideon. Gideon is one of the judges. Now, you remember that when the children of Israel came into the land of Canaan, they came in under the guidance of Joshua, who became the leader after Moses. Now, the judges follow that period of time. And after Joshua died and that whole generation that came into the land of Canaan with him, they didn't have a leader. There wasn't any specific leader. And so the children of Israel just kind of took off and did what they wanted to do. And they befriended the Canaanites who, remember, they were supposed to cast them out of the land of Canaan completely. And they kind of got tired of doing that. So they befriended them. And pretty soon they were intermarrying with them. And Lo and behold, ultimately, they were worshiping their gods. And during the time of the judges, each one of these little sessions with the next judge kind of starts out like, and then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord again. They'd have a judge, they'd be good for a while, they'd follow the Lord, and it would start all over again. Well, the story of Gideon takes place because the land is now being plagued by the Midianites. And the Midianites never fired a shot, an arrow, anything. 
they just came in when all the crops were ready to harvest and like a vacuum cleaner, swept up all the grain, cut off all the grapes, and shook all the olive trees. And in the process, they took whatever cattle and sheep and donkeys they could find and took everything away with them. And, you know, this keeps happening for another year, and the children of Israel kind of fold up their tents and go hide in caves when they get the idea that, you know, this is becoming a yearly thing. Well, after seven years, they'd finally decided that they'd had enough, and they go, Lord, help! And so the Lord sends in a unnamed prophet and said, okay, but just remember, you people brought this on yourselves because you befriended the Canaanites and you intermarried with them and, you know, you caused your own problems. So the Lord decides that he's going to ask Gideon to be their savior. Now, Gideon's from the tribe of Manasseh. And uh, for some reason, Gideon had managed to keep part of his crop the last time the plunderers came through. And he was kind of hiding out there in the rocks and he was in a, a wine press and that's where he was kind of throwing up his grain and threshing his grain and he had a little bit left. And so he's out there working and the angel of the Lord comes and sits down under the oak tree and he watches Gideon for a while, and pretty soon the, uh, the angel says, Yo, Gideon, hey, come over here. The Lord's with you, and you're a mighty warrior. Now, Gideon, you know, was out here in the middle of nowhere, and he hadn't gotten any text messages, and there wasn't any cable out there, so he didn't know about this you know, unnamed prophet that been, had been running around the town. And Gideon goes, well, you know, if the Lord's with me, he has an awful funny way of showing it. I mean, why has all of this happened? Why are we being plundered every year? And where are all these wonderful works that my father and grandfather and his father before him told me about, you know, coming out of Egypt and the Lord doing all this miraculous stuff. Well, the angel, being the good politician that he was, ignored that question. And he says, you know, I'm seeking you to rescue Israel. And Gideon goes, who? Me? Hey, I come from the least clan in the tribe of Manasseh. And, you know, <laughs> you're talking about the wrong guy here because, you know, I'm the nerdy guy that everybody picks on. I mean, I am, you are really scraping the bottom of the barrel here, Lord. Well, Lord, the angel says, no, no, no. You know, with me, with you, everything's going to be okay. Now, Gideon's like, I wonder if I'm dreaming this. Uh, or maybe I've been out here in the heat too long. Uh, so he goes, uh, Mr. Friend here, can you just stay here for a little bit? I want to bring an offering back. If, if this is what you really want, I want to bring an offering back to you. So Gideon goes 
runs over to wherever he was staying, and he comes back a little while later with unleavened bread and some meat and a pot of soup. And the angel says to him, see this rock over here? You put the meat and the bread on the rock over here, and then you pour the soup over the top of it. And Gideon does that, and the angel walks over there, and with his little tip of his stick, he touches that, and we have whoosh, instant charcoal, and the angel disappears. And Gideon's there going, oh my God, I guess this really was the angel of the Lord. I'm not dreaming this. Oh, goodness. Well, after that little incident, the Lord tells Gideon the first thing he needs to do is he needs to go out on his father's land and tear down the altar of Baal and cut down the Ashtoreth's poles. Uh, get rid of the idols and then build me an altar. And by the way, take the bull that you're going to use to pull down the altar and sacrifice it on the new altar. So Gideon says, okay, I'll do that. But he decides this isn't a good idea to do this in the daylight. We're going to do this under the cover of night. So he takes 10 of his servants with him and, and they do all of this. Now, you can imagine by the next morning, this is just the best-kept secret around, right? I mean, ten guys were out there with him. You know, and pretty soon, here we have the people coming up to Joash, that's, that's Gideon's father, they're, they're knocking on the tent door going, send that kid of yours out here, we're going to kill him. And Joash goes, what is your problem? And so um, Joash says, hey, look, if the problem is that Baal got knocked down, then tell Baal to kill my kid. I mean, come on. Why do you want to do it? It's Baal's problem. Let him resurrect himself and kill my kid. So that little incident's all over. Now, in the meantime, all of the Midianites and the Amal Amalekites and all the rest of those ites that lived over there on the east side of the Jordan River decide that they're going to come into uh, the area where Gideon is. And they all camp down in the uh, valley. And in the meantime, the Lord told Gideon to go get an army ready. So. Finally, the army gets there. Now, we've got, you know, this place covered with all of these people, and we've got Gideon and his army, and the Lord says, Gideon, we got too many people here. This army's too big. I want you to tell them, whoever's knees are shaking and teeth are chattering because they don't really want to be here, Go on home. This is what the Lord says. So, 22,000 guys go home. Two-thirds of his army's gone. He's got 10,000 left. God looks down and he says, Nah, we still got too many. 
What we're going to do, Gideon, is you're going to send them over there to that uh, stream to drink, and you're going to watch how they drink. And all the guys who kneel down and then cup the water and bring it to their mouth, those are the ones you're going to keep. Now, this probably took an hour or two to watch all these guys, but anyhow, by the time he's done, Gideon's got 300 guys left. And Gideon goes, okay, Lord. But, you know, I'm still a little unsure about this whole thing. And so uh, he, the Lord says, well, you know, if you're still a little unsure about this thing, I want to send you out. Uh, I want you to go down to that camp, and I want you to listen to what's being said down there. And so Gideon takes himself and his servant, and they, you know, stealthily go down the hill, and they're listening to these, this, these two guys that are talking, and the first guy says, I just had this dream, and this barley loaf is going to come rolling down the hill, and it's going to flatten one of the tents down here. And the other guy goes, and you know, I know what that dream means. That means that Gideon's going to come, and he's going to defeat us. Well, needless to say, Gideon is giddy, and he, you know, scoots back up the hill and goes, okay, I agree, God, let's go. We'll take, we'll take all the guys and we'll go out. And so everybody gets, a tr all 300 of them get a trumpet and a pitcher and a torch. And they light the torches and put them in there. And Gideon says, now, we're going to divide into three groups of 100 and we're going to surround this entire camp you know, probably half as big as wheat in this camp, but we're going to surround this camp, and then everybody watch what I do, and when we blow the trumpets and smash the pitchers, we're all going to yell, for the Lord and Gideon! And so they do this. And mass chaos breaks out in the camp. They pick up their swords and start killing each other and start running away. And there's 40 years of peace in the land of Israel. I feel like I should say, this is Pastor Gainick, and I approve this message. <laughs> you were in politics, weren't you? <laughs> yes, okay. Yes, yes, Jan's not running this year, but if she was, I would approve that message. Thank you. Uh, everybody should have a sheet, so that's good. Um, let me ask you this. You know, the question for Gideon, and she sort of displayed this for you in story form, which was very helpful. The question for Gideon was, will he have it his way or will he have it the Lord's way? Okay, that's the question. So just to get you started, um, what are some places in life where you can have it your way? Don't look at the sheet. Don't you? All of you have already looked at the sheet. I know how this goes. What are some places in life where you can have it your way? Just off the top of your head. Yeah. Yeah, I, well, I know Burger King. Okay, that's good. What else, Eric? Any restaurant. Any restaurant, yeah. And if you get upset and you say you didn't, it didn't come the way you wanted it, what happens? You throw a little fit. 
You call the vicar, the vicar works the manager, and you get a full blast refund, right? This is so easy. Keep going, Karen. Oh, I'm sorry. Marilyn, Karen. Maybe at your house. Okay? I say that because I cook at my house. I don't cook. <laughs> All right, any, any place else? Where else can you have it your way? Uh, yeah, unless it's an arranged marriage. That's true. Where else? Yeah, you're right. In most, most Americans can have it their way when it comes to a marriage. Where else? Yes, when you live alone, there's no one telling you what to do. Good. I mean, there's no place else. In, you've all talked about your home and your favorite restaurant. What else? Where you work. Yeah, exactly. Where you work, you can have it your own way, especially if you're the boss, right? Any place else? Yeah. Yes. Uh, as one person once said, we had, a, we had a person in the catechumenate who wasn't very happy because of the, the length of it. And they left and they asked another Missouri Synod person, where should I go? And the person responded by saying, there are so many churches, you can find something that you like out there. Missouri Synod churches. So you're exactly right. Even in the Lutheran church, you can go where you want to go. You can have what you want. How many of you get massages? Jan, I didn't know you had it in you. Good job. When you get a massage, you get it your way? Yeah, if not, you get a refund, you don't go back, you choose what kind you want. How many of you go to the spa? How many of you have been to an all-inclusive resort? You won't raise your hands? The men's retreat does count, actually. <laughs> yes, that was like an all-inclusive resort. I can remember the first time we went to an all-inclusive resort. It was, and believe me, it's not because I had money to spend. If you ever want to go to an all-inclusive resort, Apple Vacations is the place to go. Like 250 bucks got you four nights, plus airfare, plus transportation. We get to the room. And I open up the fridge, and it's filled with Dos Equis, because it's Mexico. And I said to, the, to the, the guy who took our luggage up, I said, where do I pay? He's like, you don't pay. I said, well, what happens if I run out? He said, we refill it every morning. I'm like, that is service. This is great. <laughs> so there, you can have it your way. Any place else you have it your way? Yes. Yeah, so the, great, so the greatest heresy then would be to say, um, have it your own way. Because remember, the Lord doesn't force you to do anything. He doesn't even force you to have it his way, which is a very strange thing. That's how the Lord, although we have great father analogies, and you know, he's, he's like a parent to his children, ultimately, if you want your kids to do something, you will get to the point where you force them to do it. That's not the way the Lord works at all. In fact, even if he knows something is best for you, he won't force you to have it. So the great... The great sin is to have it your way. Hell is to have it your way. Hell is, I know you have images of hell being this hot place, and so we get worried about, oh, am I going to burn to death? You shouldn't think about hell that way. It may be, but more than anything else, hell is the place where fully and finally, forever, you have things your way. Yeah, it's utter separation from the one who knows best. Okay, it's utter separation from the one who knows best. So the great heresy is to have it your way. Now flip your page over. Look at number two. The story of the text of Gideon is all about giving up control. And as I say there, the great heresy is to have it your way. Now, that someone, the first person said Burger King, and that's great. When I was in Edinburgh, I was waiting for the train at Waverly Train Station. It's the big train station in downtown Edinburgh. And they have a little Burger King there that usually, I mean, after you've been on a plane for eight hours and you're just exhausted and you get off the plane and they schlep you over to the train station, 
I mean, what's better than a huge pint of Guinness and like a Whopper from Burger King? Nothing in the world. So I always stop at the Burger King because I can get food, and right next door is a pub that serves alcohol at all hours of the day. It's just great. And they let you drink any place in the train station. So last time we were there, Abby says, you've got to see this sign. And I, we took a picture of it because it was so brilliant. This sign is utter heresy as far as the church is concerned. Just look at this. Have it your way. So you've all heard that. But listen to what they say. You have the right to have what you want exactly when you want it. Because on the menu of life, you are today's special. And tomorrow's, and the day after that, and, well, you get the drift. Yes, that's right. We may be the king, but you, my friend, are the almighty ruler. Isn't that great? Now, see, it gives you shivers in here, but when you're at Burger King standing in line, you're like, I am the freaking almighty ruler. This is great. No, so this is the thing. This may work any place else in the world. Burger King, you're a masseuse. When you go to, you know, the spa, if you go up to Kohler, yeah, you are the almighty ruler. Guess what? In the church, you're not. In the church, I'm not. As far as the text for today is concerned, Gideon's not. And that was the point of the whole story. Gideon is not, Gideon is not the almighty ruler. In fact, to show how much he isn't the ruler, what does the Lord do? He says, I'm not going to give you 30,000 men. I'm going to give you 10,000. And then, by the way, if they don't you know, lap up the water like dogs, then I'm going to take away more. And at the end of the day, how many does Gideon have left? 300 men. Gideon is not in charge of this whole ordeal. And when they go in to fight, what do they take with them? Trumpets. <laughs> like, what do you, I mean, jeez, I, I, you know. Now, Mueller, you might think that's a good, a good weapon. I know. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's so, there's so, I can understand there's some value to that. But gosh, take a, take a sword or something. All they take are trumpets. This is the great heresy. Have it your way. If Gideon chooses to have it his way, he may have 30,000 soldiers. What's going to happen to him? Yeah, they're dead. Why? Because they're scared. They're going to flee. The other guys, who knows what's going to happen? At the end of the day, if Gideon has it his way, he and his people are dead. Now, it's easy enough to say that about Gideon. The trouble is, can we say it about ourselves? Okay, this is the point of the Gideon story. Can we say it about ourselves? So you see there, point number three, after the great Burger King line, the great heresy. And by the way, Burger King is the great heresy, just so you know. The trouble. So the story is all about giving up control. What's the trouble with the text? The trouble is having it your own way. Now just think, I mean, be real honest now. I know we've had some fun, but when you go home today, think to yourself, if I had everything in life my way, what would your life look like? What would your life look like? It might be fun for a while. I mean, the prodigal son is a great example. Does he have fun when he's left his father and headed his way? Heck, yeah, he does. He blows all the money he's got on reckless living. That can be fun for about six months. But eventually, what happens? Destitute. If you have it your way all the time, what does your life look like? What comes to mind when you think of that? Yes, people resent you. Why do they resent you? Because they want to have it their way. Exactly. People resent you because they want to have it their way. What else? What else does your life look like? Yes, that might be the key to all this. Your life is utter chaos because you're utterly self-consumed. And when you're utterly self-consumed, can you ever be fully pleased? Never. 
You can never fully satisfy everything you might want in and of yourself. So look there. Our way, underneath the trouble, our way is utterly self-regarding. And I gave you this a couple weeks back. Augustine and Luther both say, and it's very helpful, they talk about your will, your desires, in curvatus in se, they're always turned in upon themselves. All you and I are ever thinking about of our nature. Now I know when you're in church, you're thinking about the Lord, and you're, but deep down, if you sort of dissect everything, pull yourself apart and look at your will, what defines you, deep down, what you and I are most concerned about is what pleases us. And that's the reason, you know, Dr. Nagel could say that fear is utterly self-regarding. Because at its core, fear is most concerned about self. Why do you think in the Gideon text, he says anybody who fears or trembles is out? Because those people, I, it doesn't mean they're bad people. It doesn't mean that fear isn't natural. It means they are utterly self-consumed. Our way is utterly self-regarding. Our way is the way of fear and trembling. Chapter 7, verse 3 of the Gideon text. Our way is the way of making deals. Chapter 6, 36 to 40. Any of you ever made a deal with the Lord? Tried, yeah. How'd that work out? What usually happens when you try to make a deal with the Lord? And Gideon, of course, says, hey, I'm going to throw the fleece out. The fleece is wet and the, the ground is dry. I'll do what you say. And then, of course, the Lord does it, and he says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's try this again. If the ground's wet and the fleece is dry, then I'll do it. And he does it. So when you make a deal with the Lord, what usually happens? One of two things, I think, usually happens. One is the easy one. You try and it fails and you don't ever get a response. What happens? That, what's the other option? Yeah, it actually works. And guess what? You, my friend, are the almighty ruler. <laughs> it actually works. And you actually have to choose, are you going to do what the Lord said? You made a deal. And the choice is, will you follow through on your end of the bargain? You ever had that experience? I mean, I know it may not be a wet fleece, and it may, but you ever said to the Lord, Lord, if you just do this, I promise I will do this. Maybe it's making someone well. Maybe it's saving a relative. Maybe it's getting me a job. Maybe it's sending your kids off to school. Lord, if you just do this, I promise I'll do this. And either he doesn't answer and you say, well, I can't believe he didn't answer me. And then you remember the Lord's not into making deals. Or he throws you a bone. He has some fun with you. He makes the deal. He agrees to it. And you say, whoa, whoa, whoa. You mean I actually have to start going to church every week? Like I thought if he just healed my, I didn't think he'd actually heal my relative, but then I said I go to church every week. Does he really mean every week or like twice a month? Okay? This never works out well. But our way is the way of making deals. Our way, and this was Joe's title, our way is the way of trusting the numbers and not trusting the Lord. Have you ever thought, I'm not strong enough to do this? Whatever it may be, telling the truth, confronting a lie, you know, taking your kids to church when they don't want to go to church, giving 10%, giving a winsome witness to the guy next to you on the train who his mouth is vulgar and he has nothing good to say about the church. You ever thought, I'm not strong enough to do this, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut? Yeah, it happens all the time. That's exactly Gideon's problem. At first he trusts the number and not the Lord. And you, I, I well... I want to be very practical here. So partly I want to tell you, you know, what's often been said or is being said, not to relive things, but just so you're always aware of what's cooking. You know, about a year ago, people would always say, oh, they're trying, you know, people are trying to close the school, the pastors are trying to close the school. That rumor stopped because the school closed. What's the rumor now? 
that place won't survive more than one year. The church. Now, why? Why won't it survive more than one year? Because people have left. Right? Because people have left. And so people trust the numbers and not the Lord. This is, here's the thing, and I say this in the next point. If we were allowed to have it our way in all things, then the church would run like a business. I talked to a lot of business guys at the retreat. I, I wouldn't say I had a cigarette with them. I was around them when they all smoked cigarettes. Uh, and I drank a lot of beer with them, and we did that sort of thing. But as you talk to the business guys, this is very true. And this isn't banging on business. This is just business. In business, numbers matter. If you don't make your number, you get fired. If your company doesn't make the number, the company closes down. In business, looking out for yourself is just as important as looking out for everyone else. That doesn't mean they are selfish people. But it means in order to keep your job amid all the rifts of this economy, what happens? You have to look out for yourself. And in business, downsizing is the mark of ultimate failure. If a company downsizes, what's said of the company? They couldn't make it. When the school downsized, what was said of the school? They couldn't make it. If we run the church like a business, all those things matter. Numbers matter, looking out for yourself matters, and downsizing is the ultimate mark of failure. Guess what? The church isn't a business. If you have it the Lord's way and have, the, have things the way the Lord gives them, all those things are turned upside down. Look at the target. The target is having things the Lord's way. And I want to give you a couple examples of how you do this, or hopefully you do this. Every morning, when you wake up and make the sign of the cross, and remember, Luther bids you to do that. He says in the catechism, make the sign, when you wake up, make the sign of the cross. He doesn't say, if you decide to pray in the morning, just like when the Lord gives the Lord's Prayer. He doesn't say, if you pray, say this. He says, when you pray, which means you ought to pray. Luther, you ought to get up and make the sign of the cross. So make it this way and say your prayers. When you do that, when you make the sign of the cross, when you call down the divine name, when Jesus puts himself right on your forehead once again, you renounce having things your way. Have you ever thought about this? The very first act you make in the morning, the sign of the cross, means that you will live the rest of the day having things the Lord's way. Or think about the divine service. And Pastor Bruzek touched on this in his sermon in a little different way. He basically says, Everything in the world can be boiled down to perception. That doesn't mean there aren't realities. It just means the way we see things. But everything in the church, everything that happens in the Eucharistic liturgy, is utter reality. That's why he said, I bow my head at, in the Latin, the homo factus est, and became man, because that is the ultimate reality. But have you ever thought about in the divine service how many times we defer to someone else? I mean, there are very few times when you come to church that we actually talk about ourselves. We only talk about ourselves when we say we're poor, miserable sinners and we need lots of help. Like, remember all of us in your prayers. But other than that, we don't often talk about ourselves, at least not here. That's not the way the liturgy is set up. At every divine service, it's an act of deference to an other. Just think about this. Lord, have mercy. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. You know, I will take up the cup of salvation for all his benefits to me. And then the Lord's Prayer is the best one. Every petition defers to him. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Give us this day your daily bread. This is my body. The Lord bless you and keep you. 
This is the only place in all the world where it's full blast reality and it's fully about someone else. You go to your massage, it's all about you, but guess what? After 60 minutes, if you pay up, it's done. And the worst thing about a massage is you actually have to walk out of the massage place. I got this deal once, 29 bucks at Massage Envy. I went because it was 29 bucks. The worst part was when they give you the cup of, the wa cup of water and say, now for $60 a month, you can come back one time. I'm like, it's over? That's all, it 60 minutes, that's all it is? You go to your vacation, you know, you go to vacation in Mexico. The, what's the worst part? Going back to work. Have you ever seen people who are so jacked up about a vacation, they get all excited. They go on their vacation, and the first day back, what are they like? They're all angry at everybody. Why are they grumpy? Not because they're bad people, not because they didn't have a great time. They had a great time on their vacation. In fact, it was so good, they don't want to come back to work. Okay? This is the point. All those things run out. What doesn't run out is the reality that when Christ, have, Christ has his way, he is always for you and never against you. That was Pastor Bruzik last week. Don't worry. Jesus always does what he says. And then the last point there, and then I'll take any questions you've got. Having it the Lord's way, not your way, we've, we've deferred to him. Having it the Lord's way means that faithfulness is the ultimate mark of success. Faithfulness. Coming to church, saying your prayers, giving 10%. As pastors, visiting people when they're sick, hearing confession faithfully, not, you know, not revealing what you heard, being at the Eucharist on time, showing up to work every day. That's faithfulness. And the problem in the church oftentimes is members think faithfulness is just being called a Lutheran. I'm a Lutheran. That doesn't mean you're faithful. As pastors, you know what the mistake is? Pastors think being faithful means you can say to people whatever you want so long as it's true. Well, I can tell you lots of things that would peeve a lot of people that are very true. That doesn't make me a faithful pastor. So we both have to remember what it means to be faithful, and when we found that remembering that faithfulness is the ultimate mark of success. It's not about how big the church is. It's not about how, money, you know, how much... I mean, just pick your thing. That's not what it's about. It's about being faithful. Caring for others is as important, and I would say is more important, than caring for yourself. There's no place in the scriptures where Jesus says, love yourself as much as you love other people. Or love yourself more than you love other people. In fact, what he always says is, love your neighbor as yourself, which means no less, and oftentimes, give up everything for your neighbor, which means love them more than yourself. And finally, downsizing might just mean victory. That's what happens in the Gideon text. They downsize to 300, boom, they win the battle. Why? Because those 300 were so concerned with doing what Christ wanted done. I can promise you, it doesn't mean we don't want to grow as a community, but I can promise you, no matter how many people are left, so long as we are faithful, we will be successful. We will be the church that Christ wants. If that's 600 on a Sunday or 1,200 on a Sunday, it doesn't matter. So hopefully you take this uh, not in the way of the law, as in, by God, you better do what Christ wants, but in the way of the gospel, which is, all of you are doing what Christ wants. Take heart. He will see us through, just like he saw Gideon through. Okay? Do you have any questions or comments? Yes. Happy anniversary, by the way. Yeah. 
<laughs> Do you all hear that? He had a plumber in his house, and the guy said, you know, we always talk about what we want. And he said, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. <laughs> you know, Jeremiah 29, 11, everybody always cites it. It doesn't say, you know the plans you have for yourself. The Lord says, for I know the plans I have for you. You don't always know what the plans are. Um, in fact, that was, the, that was the epistle for today. St. Paul basically says, I'm, I'm poured out like a drink offering. I don't know when I'm going to die, but I know it's going to happen. But the point of the Ephesians, or the Timothy text was, Christ will see him through. This is Bruzek from last week. It was brilliant. God always does what he says. When he splashes you at the font, he says, I'm sticking with you. I mean, I'm going to go see someone today. I can tell you this. I just talked to Rachel Strutzel. Their relative was killed. She was hit by a car last night. She was out walking on the street and hit by a car. I have no idea what that relative's spiritual life was like. I have no idea which, if she went to church. I have no idea. Here's what I do know. She's baptized, and the Lord sticks with her. That's it, period. So take heart in knowing that even when you don't stick with the Lord, he still sticks with you. It's pretty remarkable. Pretty remarkable. Anything else? Uh, Kirby, and then we'll come up here. Yeah, right. Yeah, from, for, for someone like Oprah, not Oprah does a lot of good, but for someone like Oprah, your love then helps you love others. For a Christian, it's God's love through you helps you love your neighbor. It's just a, it's a whole different, it's a different source of origin. The verb begins with Christ. Yes. Go ahead, Eric, and then we'll pop back. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly right. Oh, the depths of the wisdom and the riches of the knowledge of God. That's not you and me. <laughs> Larry. Yeah. Yeah. Good question. The question is, why is Gideon so associated with the Lord in this text? Gideon is sort of separated from the other people who are fighting. And that's partly because, um, you remember when the Lord chooses people to carry out his will, particularly the prophets, the apostles, and then pastors, he always associates them with himself and not with other people. So, they're the, so who saves the Israelites? Moses does. Now, it was the Lord, but the Lord chose Moses to carry out the task. Um, this is why St. Paul says, I stand, he says this, in the person of Christ. How does he stand in Christ's person? As a pastor and as an apostle. So um, this isn't my church, it's not Bruzek's church, it's not Nelson's church, it's the Lord's church, but the people that have been given to lead you are the three of us, primarily Pastor Bruzek. Um, so it does get associated with its leader. If it goes bad, it's on the leader. If it goes well, usually it's on the Lord. But every once in a while you throw a guy like Gideon a bone and say, hey, good job. Okay? Anything else? We can talk about the men's retreat. It was great. <laughs>
You women should think about whether or not you want to have a retreat, and you should think about whether or not you want to have it there. It was a great place. Wall camp, I must admit, the Lord has preserved me. I've never been to wall camp. Now, nothing against wall camp, but, uh, you know, this was, as one guy said, this is like staying at the Hilton compared to wall camp. <laughs> so it was very nice. The food was great. They were great people. Thanks to all the guys for coming. Um, and ladies, we'll have to do it for you too, okay? Anything else? All right, perfect. Let's pray and let's go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Okay, see you soon.